Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 184 and we're talking about hiking the Via Alpina with Brandon Wilson. Yeah, it's been a big week for us this week with um, being in, in Christchurch in Canterbury, yeah. uh, New Zealand. Since we, we last talked we had the, the big party that we came home for, the 60th yeah. birthday party. It all went really well and yeah, we, we were very blinged out. The theme was bling, so yeah, Craig had his big... Um, dollar signs around his neck and a fedora and I had wings wings yeah I had fairy wings I don't know why why was I wearing fairy wings someone told Uh, me I should (laughs) I don't know I don't know well a couple of days after recovering from Linda's wings we uh, (laughs) we met up with Angie from AngieAway.com and we first met her at the Tibex conference the travel blogging exchange in New York last year and uh, yeah, she's since switched from being a travel PR person to being a travel blogger. Yeah, it's great. And um, yeah, she she jumped the fence. Um, <laughs> we strongly approve. And uh, yeah, she's one month into a round the world trip that's going to take her about a year to complete. Uh, if she decides to finish it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's like that for everyone, right? Yeah. So that was that was a lot of fun. And then yesterday we jumped in the car and drove up to where we're recording today, which is the Mountain House uh, YHA Hostel in Arthur's Pass. Yeah, we're in Arthur's Pass. We've never been here before. Usually when we're driving around the South Island, we go up the East Coast or down the West Coast or whatever, but we've never gone across, well, this at this point anyway, and it's beautiful here. It's we couldn't believe it. stunning, yeah. It's amazing. So we arrived, I suppose we left yesterday at about 11, arrived around 2. It was only about a two-hour drive, but we stopped for a picnic and, you know. Yeah, we stopped at a, uh, a point called Castle Hill, which um, has all these limestone casts just poking out of this gently rolling hillside. It was and amazing. It was really cool. And then we got up here. You might be able to hear the wind whistling in the background. It's very windy here. Um, but, yeah. I mean, the weather is completely different. We couldn't believe it. it was 32 degrees in Christchurch when we left. Yeah. And um, Bob texted us, the owner of the mountain house, to say, yeah, it's raining here. We'll be all day. <laughs> yeah. And we got here and it was cold and windy and rainy. It was spectacular. But luckily, uh, it cleared up a little bit and we managed to go out for a couple of walks without getting too wet. Hopefully, by the time we went to the, the dock office, Department of Conservation office, and picked a couple of short hikes to do, it was sunny and yeah, hot. Brilliant. And we stuffed our jackets back in our bag. And um, yeah, we did about a three-hour hike um, combining two two different tracks. And it was Beautiful. Yeah, with the we... Bridal Veil Falls and to the Devil's Punch Bowl. Not the Devil's Wash Bowl, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> or Wash Basin, whatever you call whatever, it. Whatever, whatever. So we were hiking yesterday. We'll probably be hiking again this morning. But first, let's talk to Brandon about hiking across Europe on the Via Alpina. Well, on the phone with me today, I'm speaking with Brandon Wilson. Brandon's the author of uh, several travel books, including Over the Top and Back Again, Hiking Across the Alps, which is... Uh, what we're going to be talking about today because as you know Linda and I love hiking and doing a big mammoth adventure over the Alps just sounds fantastic so Brandon great to uh, finally catch up and talk to you on the phone yes good to talk to you Craig as well uh, to begin with can you give us a little bit of, of background about yourself and, and where you're coming from well, uh, I have been backpacking and traveling as an independent traveler now uh, for several decades uh, a lot of time spent, uh, well, gosh, we've done around the world. I've been to over uh, close to 100 countries. And uh, it started out sort of as a smorgasbord of, you know, the must-sees, must-dos. Uh, let's go see the Eiffel Tower. Let's do uh, Oktoberfest. Let's do, you know, all the, the must-sees that everybody has on their bucket list. And after doing that for uh, a number of years, 
we came to the realization that we really preferred, uh, my wife and I preferred to travel intensively and travel slowly and spend more time uh, in just one area or one pursuit. And that sort of developed in further into uh, the long distance hiking. And uh, in 1992, we were the first Western couple to hike across Tibet. And uh, that sort of snowballed and we said, wow, this is, this is really an incredible experience walking every day in the Himalayas, uh, staying with local people at night. The border had just opened the first day before. And uh, then we got into really long distance hiking. And I would say uh, over the past uh, 10 years now, I've done more than uh, 12,000 12, Ks. Wow, that's quite some uh, some amount of Ks. I know when I, I bought a pair of walking shoes a little while ago just to walk a thousand Ks of the Camino de Santiago, and by the time I'd finished my thousand Ks, the shoes were completely unusable. Do you do you go through a lot of uh, a lot of footwear? <laughs> Rather personal question, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I also uh, I did the Camino. Uh, I've been on that twice, and. Uh, it's, it's, I think, probably picking your footwear is probably the most important part of your gear overall, especially when you're going to be on the road uh, day after day after day for an extended period of time. And uh, in 2006, I, I walked, actually, uh, walked the trail of the first crusades leading from France to Jerusalem, and that was about 4,500 Ks. And uh, that was an incredible experience. I went through four pairs of shoes on that, so I know a little bit about what you're talking about. Yeah, it's it's quite quite fantastic. I tr I tried taking them back to the shop and saying, "Well, these are specialist hiking shoes, and I've just hiked in them, <laughs> falling apart after a month." And uh, the shop assistants weren't overly impressed with me. Well, no, you don't find a whole lot of sympathy. But then again, I no. not a whole lot of people walk that far. I mean, the Camino sort of a once-in-a-lifetime experience for a lot of people. Mm, absolutely. Well, we are talking about uh, hiking in Europe today, but not the Camino de Santiago across the north of Spain. Uh, we want to talk about hiking across the Alps. So to begin with, can you give us, uh, give us an idea of the Via Alpina, the, the hike that you did? And actually, where are we talking about when we talk about this? Uh Ah, that's a good question. Well, I, I think for many of us, when we think of the Alps, we think of this sort of uh, mountainous region that we've seen in lots of movies and maybe we've read about in books and magazines, and uh, it's sort of a nebulous region, but the Alps itself stretches through eight different countries. It starts on the coast on the Adriatic, uh, down by Trieste, goes up through uh, Slovenia, and then through Austria, across through part of southern Germany, uh, Liechtenstein, Switzerland, France, and then ends up, and of course it goes through Italy along the way as well. There, so there are eight countries, and the Via Alpina is a fairly recently established uh, series of routes. Actually, there are five routes that you can pick and choose or cobble them all together to cross the Alps or to just do one particular area. If you only have a two-week holiday and you want, you're particularly interested in Switzerland or Italy, you can pick and choose which area you want to do and then just go through on these marked trails. 
as, as a whole, if you're walking from end to end, to give you an idea, and this is what we did, uh, we started out on the red route and then we cobbled it together with the Swiss National Trail, which is the green route. We did a bit on the blue route and then back to the red uh, because we were fighting uh, time. We, we left in June and we wanted to be finished before the snows hit the trail. And so we uh, put this together into about a three and a half month trip uh, that covered about 1,200 uh, miles altogether. Wow. Uh, do you know what that is in kilometers off the top of your head? Uh, it's about 1,900 Ks. Wow. wow. That's, that's something I can understand. That is some way. So over three and a half months, what were you, did you have kind of a, a target number of, of miles you wanted to achieve each day? Or did you just have, well, we need to be in this town in so many days? Uh, well, I, I think we, we started with we have to be here by this date, but then uh, it developed. We actually, we're, we're doing a little over 20 Ks a day, which is on the low side compared to what we normally walk. Um, but this is a really unique trail in as much as you're climbing a mountain every day, Craig. Mm. You're going from valley to mountain hut on top. So... Uh, I figured overall we did about 700,000 feet, uh, over 200,000 meter climbs uh, from from valley to mountain, back down to valley over the same period of time. So it's it's like the equivalent of climbing 12 Mount Everest. Yeah, that's that's some way. I mean, I've done a few day hikes in Austria, and just well, there's there's some steep inclines along that along that path. Yeah, there def there definitely are, and uh, a lot of it is climbing on sc on scree. And what we ran into in June is uh, we ran into snow, we ran into ice fields. And one particular day, there were eleven that went across the path. Uh, trails were were completely blocked at some points, and we had to uh, improvise. And that's why I kind of like to call this this trek is sort of uh, it's a walking jazz. You know, it, it constantly involves uh, improvisation and thinking literally on our feet. Mm. So what kind, of, uh, what kind of equipment did you have to tackle this? Did you start off with normal long-distance hiking and then get more kind of mountaineering gear? Or, you know, what, what kind of equipment were you carrying with you? Uh, I, I think the thing that is really important to remember on this is to travel light like on any long-distance trek. And we make it a point to never carry more than about seven and a half uh, uh, kilos with us. So traveling with 15-pound packs, uh, that's everything. And that has to prepare you for rain and snow and a, and, and a bit of ice. And we went through hail. And then by the time we were in August, uh, we were walking in very arid areas at high altitudes. So, uh, so you've, got, you've got some high temps as well. Uh, and then picking footwear, you can't afford to take two pairs of shoes because, again, you're traveling light. So you need something that's that's uh, good in any sort of condition. The thing that really threw us, uh, though, to tell you the truth, was we really didn't run expect to run into that much uh, ice at that time of year. Uh, we expected it sort of through May, but this was this was unusual. And then we had a huge amount of uh, rain this year. They, uh, the Alps had the most rain they've had in like 40 years. Oh, wow. That's so good. We, uh, no. Consequently, we had about 40 days of rain. And it was a type of rain where you put on your gear, you get all suited up, you trudge along for a while. 
and then all of a sudden it stops, so you take it off, but then 10 minutes later it starts again, and it was stop and start all, all day. And so that, uh, that made it particularly testy as far as a place to walk. Hmm. Well, while we're drilling down into, uh, into practical matters, where were you sleeping? Did you carry your own sleeping equipment with you, or were you staying in, in huts along the way? Um, we brought a tent with us. We brought a lightweight tent from Gossamer Gear, and it's really a beauty. And uh, we took it just in case of an emergency, you know, if we were stranded someplace. But otherwise, we wanted uh, the way we like to travel is sort of total immersion. We like to get the feel of a place. We like to be able to meet people at the end of the day and to sit around and talk and have a beer and uh, enjoy whatever the locals are eating. So uh, we we stayed in mountain huts for much of the way. Uh, when we didn't, we were in uh, pensions or Zimmer fries or bed and breakfasts, whatever you want to call them. Uh, but types of places where you stay in a local spare room and you have breakfast together in the morning and and then hit the road by seven seven thirty in the morning. Yeah, perfect. but the mountain huts, yeah, the mountain huts along the way. That that's a, another good feature about this trail versus say the uh, the Appalachian Trail. Uh, mountain huts can vary from you know fairly primitive uh, place. It's tucked up on top of a mountain top in Slovenia to uh, a place that is. Uh, you know, pretty, pretty, pretty plush and luxurious with, you know, hot showers and uh, full menus at night and uh, fairly gourmet mountain food. So uh, uh, that's one thing to keep in mind. And, uh, you know, at the same time, it's, it's affordable. It's certainly not as cheap as camping out, but it's uh, affordable for traveling in Europe these days. Mm. Um yeah, they they are very good. Now, food was the other thing I was thinking about for someone who's uh, who's maybe beginning to dream about hiking this trail. Now we've started talking about it. Were you? Um, you're obviously having breakfast in your uh, in your your homestays, your B and Bs as you as you went along whenever you could. And were you carrying food uh, for extended periods of time, or were you kind of buying daily for the for the day ahead? Uh, we didn't carry very much food with us, uh, just enough for the day or for an emergency. And uh, most places along the way, you could even tuck in some place for lunch, just to grab a quick lunch and, and keep on going. And then the mountain huts, or if you stayed in the pensions, the villages, uh, each night uh, we planned on getting uh, dinners there. So again, keeping with the philosophy of traveling light, uh, we just sort of had emergency rations with us. And that might be a couple of um, uh, a couple of uh, granola bars, or uh, a chub of sausage, or a chunk of cheese, or something with us. So uh, again, we we traveled light. Yeah, when, you, when you're only carrying seven and a half pounds, it doesn't give you a whole lot of uh, room to to carry much more. And that's the thing, you know. I think with this trek, uh, you're climbing such altitudes, and it is such a it's it's a marathon in a lot of ways to do 20Ks a day, but then to do a mountain every day or two mountains on some days, it's uh, it's a big strain on your body. So I think you have to listen to that and, again, travel as light as you can, yet be prepared for whatever the, the conditions might be. And that's, that's a unique feature about the Alps, like in any high-altitude hiking. Uh, 
conditions can change on a dime. It can be clear one minute and raining 10 minutes later and then hailing 10 minutes after that. Mm, yeah, I'm not sure about hiking in North America, but we've found between hiking down here in Australia New Zealand, if you're going away for three days, you take four days worth of food with you because you're not going to see another person for the entire time you're going to be hiking. And then uh, hiking in Europe, we... You know, you're running into villages every every fifteen to twenty k's, and so there's this constant supply of of food and fresh water and and accommodation if you need it. Exactly, exactly. And one thing that's really nice about hiking the Alps is that fresh water, uh, especially in places like Austria and Germany, is usually available in the villages. You'll see fountains, and you can just fill up your uh, your canteens there. Mm. So tell me, out of the the eight countries that you walked across, was there one that really, really stood out to you or one section of the track if I was going to go there for a week and and hit one area? Is there there anywhere that you could recommend over the others? There are so many beautiful places along the way, and it really depends on what type of hiking, uh, what kind of condition you're in, and what you're looking for. I would suggest that people really... uh, you know, look at the type of culture that you want to walk through, what type you want to experience, uh, because that has a large bearing, I think, on what you pick. Uh, if you want to go through a lot of villages along the way and kind of temper some great mountain hikes with um, village life, then you might want to look at a place like Austria. If you want extreme uh, high mountain hiking, some real challenges, uh, you might want to look at doing the Swiss National Trail, which on some days will just kick the stuffing out of you. It's, <laughs> it's an amazing, amazing route. Uh, otherwise, there are routes in uh, north, uh, northeast France uh, around the Mont Blanc circuit that you can uh, take the Via Alpina through Mont Blanc area. And that's incredibly scenic. And uh, you'll, you'll run into a lot more foot traffic there because it is very popular. And that was probably the busiest area that we came through uh, over the three and a half months. But again, it's popular for a reason. It's, it's, it's beautiful. Mm, certainly. We were, uh, we were up in that region for the, uh, the Tour de France this year. And, uh, well, just absolutely stunning. Yes, especially when you when you're up uh, near the crest of some of those mountains and looking down, it's uh, it's very panoramic and uh, there's a lot of solitude that you find on this too. Uh, I think when we were walking, we would run into people who were up just typically for a week or a weekend, and then uh, spend a lot of time by ourselves. We wouldn't see another hiker uh, again for uh, several days. Or until we got into the huts, and then we'd run into people who had just, uh, you know, either bust up to the huts or had come up uh, for a week's worth of hiking and were on some sort of excursion. But if you like uh, walking in solitude a certain amount, uh, that's something that's still available on the Via Alpina. Mm, excellent. That's good to know because it's a very densely populated part of the world. Mm-hmm. And uh, especially, I think, in walking uh, at times other than right in August. August is probably the busiest month. If you're walking in June, July, or September, uh, you'll have most of the trail to yourself. Mm, fantastic. Now, um, are we, we're getting 
to the end of our time together, unfortunately, but I want to ask if there's any uh, any times where you felt, I don't know, scared or worried about the hike, uh, that you were either able to complete it, or, or was there any, any kind of big worries that you had? Well, uh, when we were first starting out uh, and coming through Slovenia, we found the weather changed uh, very rapidly, and as we got um, closer to Mount Tri- uh, Triglav, we found that uh, ice blocked the, the trail frequently, and in one particular section. Now we weren't we weren't carrying crampons again since we weren't expecting to run into this. So we were just using our Nordic poles to secure us across these uh, passes along the scree. And sometimes there was like a 500 foot drop off the edge. And at one point at the end of the day, uh, I hadn't seen it because I was a little bit of head and uh, Cheryl. My wife, uh, who was walking with me, said, uh, you know, I, I had a really close close encounter with going over the edge there because uh, she had slipped and she was hanging literally by one Nordic pole uh, that was still anchored into the ice. But otherwise, uh, it was a wow. pretty precarious position. And she hurt her knee and, uh, and uh, continued on bravely enough. Uh, over the next couple of weeks until it healed, but uh, really severely uh, injured her knee at that point. And we ran into hail uh, in July or August in uh, Switzerland at High Mountain and thunder showers, and then uh, had to run back down to a dairy farm. So there were a couple of instances like that and, and places where we were hanging by a blue nylon cord over the crevasse, but... Uh, you know, you've got you've got to use sense and a certain amount of caution when you do this. This is not this is not tailor made for uh, for beginners in a lot of instances. You have to be smart about what you're doing and constantly aware that uh, some amount of mountaineering skill is needed at sections, and uh, certainly some good physical conditioning is needed. Mm, what kind of preparation did you do before uh, before attempting this? Uh, we worked out in a gym uh, with with weights and inclined treadmills for uh, several months before starting. And again, we've you know we've been on these types of hikes. This is my tenth long distance trek um, in different conditions, and so we've we've got a little bit of experience on the trail. But uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't dissuade people from doing this. Just be smart about what trails you take. And look at them in advance and get your topographic maps and get those in advance. Don't plan on picking them up along the way. Yeah, good stuff. What, uh, what other resources can you, can you recommend people to, to take a look at if they want to chase this up? Um, people can go to the Via Alpina website uh, where they have day-to-day uh, uh, logs and you can actually look, take a look at the topos, take a look at the inclines. Uh, they've got all the hut information and everything on there, and that's via-alpina.org. Uh, you can go to our website, and there will be more pictures and more information about uh, our particular uh, trek on this. And our website is pilgrimstales.com. Great. We'll link to, uh, to both of those from the show notes. Yeah, so those those should uh, give you a, a good primer uh, as far as what to expect. And then uh, my book goes into a lot of detail about the day to day. It's um, it's a it's a unique look because it's not just the glorified uh, view of what went right. This is kind of a tell all book like my other three. 
about what can go right and what can go wrong uh, along the way and the weird people you run into and uh, the magical moments, but also the trials and tribulations, especially when you have a couple walking together and how intense an experience that can be. Mm, Absolutely. And so where can people grab your book from? Uh, They can find Over the Top and Back again at Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble or any of your favorite uh, booksellers on the Internet or uh, regular brick-and-mortar stores can order it as well. Great. Well, we'll uh, we'll link up to the Amazon version in the the show notes here at IndieTravelPodcast.com. But uh, before you go, Brandon, I do want to ask what's coming up next. (laughs) <laughs> I'm always wondering that myself. Uh, you know, typically uh, we've we've kind of learned to listen to our intuition and open ourselves to these experiences. Like when I took off for Jerusalem, I didn't know six months in advance I'd be doing it until somebody mentioned it and invited me to come along. So there was just two of us. Uh, on this one, it was it was lit quite literally six months before uh, before we started. We hadn't heard about the trail, so. Uh, I don't know. Maybe a trip across Mongolia is in the in the wind. Uh, we we also heard about a recent pilgrimage trek across Brazil. Uh, so uh, we're kind of opening ourselves to those ideas. And for the meantime, I'm I'm based here in the Dolomites, uh, trying to get everything together and talk to people more about this trail. So uh, I wish anybody uh, good luck on this. And I, you know, I kind of foresee it as a, as a future European Appalachian trail, uh, with slightly better food and uh, definitely better wine along the way. <laughs> Excellent. Well, Brandon, thanks so much for coming on the Indie Travel Podcast today. It was, it was great to talk to you about this new trail that's opened up and, uh, and, and hear your practical advice and your adventures on it. Well, it's been a pleasure talking with you and, and your listeners. And again, if people want the down low, uh, they want to know what, uh, what to plan and what to figure and what this trail is really like, um, look at the website and, and take a look at the book because uh, it's sort of a no-hold-barred uh, tell-all book uh, about what to experience, what the experience is really like. So that was a, uh, a great-sounding hike, huh? Yeah, definitely. Thanks, uh, Brandon, for coming on the show and, uh, and talking about it. I'm so, feeling inspired to go and uh, do a few more hikes this morning. So. <laughs> <laughs> We're well, going to finish we, this up we, and then go. <laughs> yeah, we do have a six-hour drive up to, uh, up to Nelson tonight and then we'll hit a few wineries before we jump on the Inter-Islander and cross to Wellington. So, um, yeah, it's, it's going to be a big day. Yeah, but it'll be fun. It will. The community's been a bit quiet this week, so come down to IndieTravelPodcast.com slash community and share your travel plans, photos, questions, experiences with everyone because it's great to get some uh, talking happening on the site. Oh, yeah, of course. And remember, you can keep us on the road by visiting IndieTravelPodcast.com forward slash hostels, forward slash hotels, forward slash insurance and forward slash flights when you're booking online. Or forward slash Amazon if you're uh, if you're doing some shopping online. Well, I suppose we'd better get on and get on with it. Got to get some hiking in. But uh, thanks to Bob and the Mountain House at uh, trampers.co.nz. And until next week, travel well. <laughs> <laughs>